Good morning. Just wanted to ask a couple of questions first. One of the questions I would like to ask is one of the songs we sang. Are you running well? Or are you running at all? You know, sometimes in the Christian faith, in the Christian walk, we have difference of speed that we're going, right? We have those that are just going in leaps and bounds, and they're just growing, and they're on fire like crazy, and you're like, oh, man, what's wrong with me? And then you got those that aren't going so fast. Then you got those that are maybe going at a turtle pace, and then you got those that are just turned in the right direction. We need to praise God that even those that are just turned in the right direction, that they're in the right direction, and they're ready to go that way. So are you running well? How was your walk? How was your week in the word? So please, with that, if you would open up with me to um, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll be. I wanted to clarify one thing that as we say the Nicene Creed, there's a word in there that says, you know, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I want everybody to understand that that word Catholic does not mean we hold to a Roman Catholicism view of what they hold to. It, that word Catholic is, just means universal. So we hold to a universal church of all of God's saved, all that he is saving, all that he has saved, and all that he will save throughout the world. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Father God, we just thank you for this time that we can come into your presence. Lord, we ask that your spirit would come and accompany the preaching of your word. Father, we ask that all men would be eclipsed and Christ would be seen supremely and that he would be glorified, Father, and that you would receive all glory for what you have done in our lives. Father, may our hearts now be turned towards you as we look into your word. In your name, amen. So I titled this message, Sole Deo Gloria. Does anybody know what that means? To God belongs the glory alone. God receives all the glory alone. When we look at our Christian walk, we see that there's there are that God works in such a way that all things work together for our good, but ultimately for his glory. He is the one that ultimately gets all the glory. It's him. So if you were deaf, you couldn't hear, Dad, <laughs> would the birds still chirp? Yes. If we were all blind, would there still be color? Yes, because ultimately those things exist for God's glory, but for our good. We get to enjoy them, but they're ultimately for God's glory. So today, what is it that captivates your attention? What is it that stirs your soul? Is it perhaps a sunrise over the mountains or a sunset over the ocean? Maybe it's architecture, historical or modern architecture. Maybe your, your, your soul is stirred by a good book, or in my case, a good documentary, or music, 
we have to admit there's something about music that it doesn't affect our mind, but it goes straight to the soul. Maybe it's music that stirs your soul today. Maybe it's a celebrity pastor you listen to. Maybe it's the stock market rising. I got a lot of clients that they like it when the stock market is rising. Maybe for, like us, it's a beautiful golf course. Or maybe even it's a craft fair or crafts that we get to do. Or maybe it's a blade of grass. Why a blade of grass, right? Really, a blade of grass, Mark? In the 1700s, there was a Puritan named Jonathan Edwards, and he actually preached in a sermon on the glory of God in a blade of grass. Amazing how he looked at God's glory. Amazing. So today, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you and myself, is your soul and my soul captivated with genuine affections by the work of God in bringing us from death to life, therefore bringing him glory and glory to him alone? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look through verses 4 through 10 today, so I'm probably going to go a little bit longer than I normally do, so please bear with me. Hopefully the word of God will hold your attention and captivate you. Look at what the, what, what, what the apostle tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. This is where he starts off, and this is what we looked at last week. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Oh, here comes the most precious words in all of the Bible. But God. This is where God intervenes. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wow, what powerful words Paul writes with. What powerful works. So one thing we look at is God receives all the glory in our salvation because it is all his work. It is all his work. Listen to Philippians 1.6. Paul writes to the Philippians and he says this. I am sure of this. I am confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is God's work. Salvation is God's work in us. He is the one who has redeemed us. He is the one who has saved us, and he is the one that receives all the glory. So first, he receives all the glory because he is the one who is rich in mercy and love. Look at Ephesians 2.4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. 
This is what God says. Rich. This word rich means abounding in. So God is abounding in. He's, he's got this wealth. He's got this wealth of mercy, right? And this mercy is pity. It's compassion. It's something that sometimes we lack on people. We lack mercy on people. We lack that pity. We lack that compassion. But God is abundant in that pity. He is abundant in that compassion. All we have to do is look at the cross, and we see that. This word great is in magnitude. It's quantity. And love is a devotedness, a commitment to. So we see that God saves us out of his character. It's all about him. It's all about us seeing him. It's all about us seeing his mercy. It's all about us seeing his love. But just not this any kind of love, but it's this abundant love. It's this magnificent love. It's this great and quantifying love that he has for us. It's amazing that God is merciful and loving to us. Listen to what Moses writes in Ephesians 34, 6, as he talks about the character of who God is and the devotedness of of him to us. In Exodus 34, 6, he writes, The Lord passed before me and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Nehemiah says it this way in Nehemiah 9.17. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their necks and appointed a leader to return their slavery in Egypt. Listen to this, but this is what he says. But you, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them. Wow. And then David in the Psalms agrees with both Moses and Nehemiah. And he says in Psalms 86, 5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. But you, O Lord, in 86, 15, Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. God knows that our sin is great, and God knows that our sin is against him and him only. But, but his love is enough to forgive us of that sin and to take us out of that death. Our salvation starts with the character of God, his mercy and his love. Secondly, this mercy and love, it, it, it brings life into us. It brings life into us. Look at Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. They get context. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This alone is the work of God. If we are spiritually dead, God brings life into us. This is what he does. He brings that life into us. And that life is in Christ, and it puts us together with Christ. And um, imagine a balloon. I was trying to find an example of this. Um, Imagine a balloon. And then after I found this example, I found two better examples in the Bible. So go figure. So 
if we have a balloon, and the balloon's just sitting there, right? It's just sitting there. The balloon is lifeless, right? The balloon is lifeless. And as kids, we always like to, to make that balloon whistle, right? You know, squeeze it as the air comes out. Or if it was a helium balloon, we like to suck it in and, and talk like, you know, that talk. And anyways, but what we have to do to make that thing go, we have to blow into the balloon, right? And so we're breathing into that balloon, and that balloon gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It, 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 it gets life, right? It has some kind of life to it. And that's when we, and it does that, and I can't even do the thing. So, but it has that. But then I got to thinking, that's, that, that's a good example. But then I got to thinking about Adam, right? Adam, a, Adam when, when, when God formed Adam out of the dirt, he was lifeless. He was lifeless. He was just like a statue. But then God, the picture that Moses gives us as he writes in Genesis, what God gives us, is that God grabs Adam by the face, and he brings him face to face, and he breathes life into Adam, and Adam becomes alive. And that is what he does. He takes us, those who are dead in our trespasses and sins, in which we formerly walked, that we are children of wrath, is what Paul says, and he takes us, that dead corpse, and he breathes life into us. And he gives us life. And we live that life. Think of John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is Lazarus, right? Lazarus is dead. He's been in the tomb. The dude stinks, right? He's so dead. His body's starting to decompose. And Jesus says that God may be glorified. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb. He resurrects Lazarus. That's this life. It's a resurrected life. He brings Lazarus out of the tomb, and Lazarus is alive. He's alive. Because Jesus calls him out, because Jesus is life, and God brings, breathes this life into us. John 5.21, this is what the apostle writes, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. This, this, this life is, is a zoe life. It's a zoe life. It's, a, it's an eternal life. The Son gives us eternal life. To whom he will. John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The apostle Paul to the church at uh, Colossae. He writes in Colossians 2, 13. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. It is God who receives all all the glory of our salvation because he is the one that gives us life. And not only this, but this verse continues, but he he puts us together with Christ. We are together with Christ. So what does this mean? That means you and I are new creatures. We're new creations. We have new desires. We have new affections. We have a new hope and we have a purpose. Paul puts it this way, as this newness of life in Romans 6, 4. He says this, we were buried therefore with him by baptism and into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We walk in newness of life, right? Corinthians Corinthians tells us that, that the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I didn't have that on there. 
So we now, as we walk in this newness of life, that means we, 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 we see, we see spiritual truths, right? This is the crazy thing. When the Lord saves us, this actually becomes alive. It is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You read this book, and it cuts you, and it cuts you deep. But then God brings the balm of the gospel, and he starts to heal you up as it cuts you. It becomes active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We begin to see spiritual truth. Our desires are for spiritual things. They're for spiritual things. They are not for things of this earth, but they are for things above. Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth, on the earth. We shall also live with Christ because we are together with Christ. Romans 6, 8 says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. Since then, God has made us alive together with Christ. You and I are pleasing in God's sight. We have to get this through our minds. We are already pleasing in in God's sight. We do not do things. We do not do good works, which we'll get into today. We don't do these things to be pleasing to God. We do these things because we already are pleasing to God. We are in Christ. We are pleasing to Him. We are pleasing to God. God receives the glory in our salvation, because he is the one who gives our salvation meaning and purpose. Look at Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. He says, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, some of these verbs, raised up, and, and seated us. These are, Paul is saying that these are already happened. These are absolute. When God saved us, this is what absolutely happened to you. When God saved you, he raised you up and he seated you in the heavenly places with Christ. Although we all sit here in this church building, planted here, where we really are is he raised us up and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Done deal. Absolute. That's what Paul is saying. This is where we are. It's the already but not yet. That's what he was saying. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the, in the heavenly places. This is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing that this is where we are. That is, this is proof that we are citizens of heaven in Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Why? Because this is where we are. We're raised up. We're seated with Christ. And from it, we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but we're seated in the heavenly places. We're seated in these heavenly places. This heavenly place is, is God's realm. It's where God rules from. This is where we are seated, right? Jesus is seated on his throne, right? In the heavenly places. Jesus is on the throne. If we are seated with him, that means we're seated in the throne. Right? We're not kings, but we're with Christ, right? We're with him. We're with him in these heavenly places. 
this is where we are, Ephesians 1, 3. This is what happens in these heavenly places. Hold on really quick, Pete. But in these heavenly places, we have fellowship. We have fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have fellowship with all the saints before and those to come. It is where all our blessings come from, is the heavenly places, Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's where all of our prayers and praise go. It's where our inheritance is. 1 Peter 1, 4, to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is the heavenly places. This is the heavenly places. Now the purpose, the purpose, look at the purpose. The, 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 the purpose the purpose here is in verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus. In the coming ages of eternity. But we see that now, don't we? We see that now. We, 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 we see that his immeasurable riches and his grace and kindness towards us. This is what we will, we will experience in heaven. We will experience God's, God's immeasurable richness is what we will experience. But you know what that'll do? When we experience that, that, that kindness towards us, it'll lead us to praise. It'll lead us to worship. It'll lead us to glory in God alone. Listen to how, how the psalmist puts it in Psalms 106, 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. 1 Timothy 1.17, Paul tells Timothy this, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Sole Deo Gloria is what he says. God receives glory because our salvation has meaning and it has purpose. God receives glory alone in our salvation because it is through faith alone, by grace alone. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I'm sure this is a verse that everybody uh, memorizes, right? I mean, this is one of the first verses that we want everybody to memorize, right? Except John th before John 3, 16. Or Romans 3.23 or 6. But anyways, it's in here. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace, okay, we, we have to, watch this. Look at your Bibles. Don't listen to me. Look at your Bibles. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is your not, uh, it's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, now grace, this word grace, we all know what it is. It's charis, right? It is the unearned act of God. It's unmerited favor, right? So this grace is not something we earned. It's not something we merit. It's grace, right? That's what it is. We didn't earn God's love. We didn't earn God's mercy. We didn't deserve God's pity. We didn't deserve God's compassion. No, he gives that to us out of the abundance of who he is and because he is full of grace. That's what it is. This word faith, it's the act of believing. 
It's the act of believing that he says this, okay? So if salvation isn't by God's great, God's unmerited favor, then faith also must be a gift. Now, we display faith every day, don't we? We do it every day. How many of you, when you came into the, to the sanctuary here, how many of you went up to the seat and checked it for stability? Did anybody check it for stability? You just sat down right? We all just sat down. We had faith that that chair was going to hold us. I didn't, I didn't see anybody come and check it for stability. So we just sat down. So we have faith, right? We display faith every day. We, we have faith in our driving. We have faith in our uh, opening a, a soda pop can, right? We, we have faith. We display this faith. But this is a different kind of faith. This is a spiritual faith. And if we're spiritually dead, this has got to be a gift from God. This has got to be a gift of God. Listen to 2 Peter 1.1. Here's what Peter says. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained, obtained, it was a gift. It was something we have obtained as a gift of faith, of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and the Savior Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted, granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe, there's our word faith, in him, but also suffer for his sake. Salvation then comes as a gift of God. It's God's gift to us, right? So faith, let's, let, let's take one example of faith, right? So I would imagine that everybody here said the sinner's prayer. Right? We, we all say the sinner's prayer. We repent. Right? We, re, we, re, we repent of our sin. Well, why would we pray to somebody that we don't even know? Unless he, has our, unless he hasn't given us faith. You see, that's the whole thing. He gives us faith. He grants us faith. It's his work alone in salvation. He gives us that faith, and guess what? We respond by saying the sinner's prayer. We respond to him. We call out to him because he's given us that faith to believe in him. It is truly, brothers and sisters, amazing grace, right? What's the first line? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Amen? Amen. Yes, and this, this salvation, it's not a result of works. There's no human effort behind it, right? Galatians 2.16 says it this way. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because the works of the law, no one will be justified. That's what Paul is arguing with the Galatians, is that, is that we're not justified. We're, we're, not, we're not made righteous. We're not declared righteous. We're not declared not guilty because we've kept the law. That's what he's saying. Because we can't keep the law. Right? We can't keep the law. That's what he's saying. No one is justified by the works, but it's faith in God. This is the very reason why Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door. It's because he sat there and he said, we're not justified by these works, but we're justified 
by faith in Christ and what he has done. It's not a result of works. It's not how many Sundays you come to, how many prayer meetings you go to, how often you come to communion, how many songs you sing, how many words you memorize, how many chapters you read. It's not about any of that. That does not save you. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross is what saves you. Not our legalistic tendencies. It's the work of Jesus Christ that saves us. This should stir our souls with genuine religious affections towards God. Because it's not about us. It's not our works. It's not our doing. 2 Timothy 1.9 says this. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. He's clear. God is the one who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Titus 3.3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is us. This describes us. Oh, but here comes the, there's that word, but. But when the goodness and loving kindness, oh man, can't you just see that? The goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared. He saved me. He saved you. It's his goodness. And it's his loving kindness that does this. Forgive me. I gotta wipe away now because I can't see a thing without him. But let's finish that. But when his goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Our salvation is a gift of God. It's not of works. Why? So that no one can boast. There'll be no boasting in heaven. There'll be no boasting in heaven. There'll be not one of us sitting there saying, this is what I did. What did you do? There'll be none of that, you know? Well, you know, I went to eight years of college. Oh, I really don't care, you know? I mean, there'll be no boasting, none of this, right? Romans 3, 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works. No, but by the law of faith. You know what? Because faith is faith. God grants us all faith. He's the one that is the giver of faith. He's the one who gifts the faith. That is why he is the one in this passage that receives glory and glory alone. 1 Corinthians 1.31 So that as it is written, let, let one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Our boasting will be in the Lord. That's it. When we look at Revelation and we look at it, everybody is looking to one place. 
when we're singing praises and we're glorying. Everybody is looking to one place, and that one place is the throne. And that's where Jesus is seated. That's where God the Father is seated. No one is looking at each other. Our boast will be in the Lord alone. And brothers and sisters, that should be where our boast is today. Our boast should not be in how many theological books we read. Our boast should not be in how many theological books we wrote. Our boast should not be in how many devotions we read or how many devotions we write. Our boast should be in Christ alone, sola Christus. Because of his grace alone, sola vida. This is where our boast is. This is where Paul's boast was. All you have to do is read his letters and you see that Paul only gloried in who Jesus Christ was. We should only glory in who Jesus Christ was. But this salvation doesn't end with just that. This salvation has results. There's, re- there's results. And again, God is, wor- he is glorified in these things. Look at, look at Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is our responsibility, right? This is our responsibility. God has saved us. Why? So that we will walk in good works. This is our responsibility. True salvation produces genuine good works. James deals with this whole thing. James says that our faith without works is a dead faith, right? I'd encourage you guys, listen to John MacArthur. He's preaching this series on it. It's, it's, it's amazing. But it's dead, dead works, right? But he says, I will show you my faith by my works. So we have these works that we are to do, these good works that we are to do, and they were created in Christ Jesus, Right? which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has ordained that you and I are to walk in these. And this word workmanship, this is, this is a great word. This is a great word. This word is um, poema. It's the word poema. This is where we get our English word poem. So we get our English word poem, this workmanship. So we, can, we could read this this way. For we are his poem. We are his literary masterpiece. Have you ever thought about yourself as that? That you are God's literary masterpiece. Right? What a beautiful thing. We are his literary masterpiece. We are his literary workmanship. As we do these good works. Listen to what our Lord says as we do these good works. In John 15, 1 through 8, Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. These are works, right? Bears fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine. Just think of our trees and our fruit plants and everything. Neither can you unless you abide in me. 
Jesus is turning it back on him. The reason we produce good fruits is because we abide in him. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Yes, nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, here it is, by this my Father is glorified. This is how God is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, that's the proof That's the genuineness of our Christianity is we bear fruit. We do good works. That's what we do. There are no lone wolf, lone ranger Christians on our own. We can't do it by ourselves. We need Christ. But this is how we glorify God and prove that we are his disciples. Good works show that our salvation is genuine. Righteous attitudes with righteous acts produce a transformed life. Did you hear that? Righteous attitude with righteous acts proceed from a transformed life. I'm sorry, proceed from a transformed life. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy that we are equipped for these good works. 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God has equipped us for these good works. We should be zealous for these good deeds. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawless and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We have this zealousness for good works. And this is all through the power of God working in us. Now, this verse I'm going to read is like one of the most Tentious verses is where we find this tension, right? This is where we find this tension. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, here comes our responsibility, brothers and sisters, right here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We are to work. We are to run. We are to bear fruit. But here's the tension, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure, because he is the one that gets all the glory. It is to him that he gets all the glory alone. So in closing, brothers and sisters, our salvation, it's rooted and grounded in God's mercy and God's love. It is a product of God's grace by a gifting of us of faith so that we won't boast, so that our souls will be stirred with affections and love for how great of a Savior we have and that we will go and we will do good works that he prepared beforehand. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Lord, may you be glorified in our lives today. Lord, so many things that can confuse us and so many things that can take us down rabbit trails and so many things that can captivate our minds. But Lord, as we open your word daily or weekly or whenever we get a chance to open your word, Father, may you shine the light 
of the glory of Christ into our hearts that we will be captivated by his beauty, by his majesty. Oh, Father, that we would see his sacrifice for us and that we will glory in our Redeemer and we will glory in our salvation because of how merciful and kind you are. In your name, amen. Please stand as we sing our last song.